Welcome to the ECU Baptist Church Teaching Podcast. We're teaching through a series here on Wednesday nights through the book of Ephesians to help us implement strategies and concepts to really further the kingdom through our local church. We hope you'll enjoy. All right, so if you have your Bible with you tonight, uh, we are going to be, you guessed it, in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read our verses uh, that we're going to study again tonight. I'm going to read them for us really quickly, uh, and then we're going to have to take a little bit of a field trip. You're you're going to stay in your seat this time. Last time I told y'all field trip, I had y'all move. It was crazy, like pitchforks, right? But we're going to take a field trip in the Bible. Uh, So I'm going to read for us really quickly uh, verses 18 uh, through 23. So Ephesians 1, verse 18, it says, I ask that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know the hope of His calling, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and the surpassing greatness of His power to us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God put everything under His feet and made Him head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father God, I just pray that tonight, God, as we study Your Word, that we would just pursue You, God, that we would allow our lives to just be enriched by Your touch, God, that we would truly magnify You in all aspects and all areas of our lives, God. I just pray that tonight, Lord, that Your Word would be like spiritual milk for us, God, in a, in a weary body, Lord, that You would just allow this Word and allow the, this teaching, God, to just work in us and through us, God, that we would pour into our communities, Lord, and just to be shining examples and lights and cities on hills, God, that would just bring glory and honor to your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so really quickly, uh, I'm going to be flipping a lot tonight, so we're going to use this beautiful thing called technology. Uh, So let me take us really quickly. Uh, We're going to go to uh, Genesis Chapter uh, 3, who am I kidding? I'm a physical Bible kind of guy. We're going to be in Genesis uh, chapter 3. And i got to read a couple verses for you. And then I'm not going to touch these verses for a little bit. Because I'm going to let them meditate and and kind of marinate in our minds. Uh, So Genesis uh, chapter 3 and... We all read this together you over the week, right? We read it in our in our, our prayer lives, uh, Genesis one through three. We all read it, and it led to our prayer lives, rather. Uh, so Genesis three, picking up at verse eight, it says, "Then the man and his wife heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the breeze of the day, and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man, Where are you?'" And I heard your voice in the garden, he replied, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Who told you that you were naked? asked the Lord God. Have you eaten from the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? And the man answered, the woman whom you gave me, 
She gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Classic deflection. Not good. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? Watch this. Check out this deflection. The serpent deceived me. And she replied, And I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Look, God doesn't deflect. He goes right to the source and He handles business. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat. All the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Hold that. Let's read that again. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, you thought that just, just, just the Satan got it. But no, 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 we, we, we get it too, guys. To the woman, he said, I will sharply increase your pain in childbirth, and in pain you will bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So no longer are they to rule together in the garden, which was the design that God made us with. No longer your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Hey, how you doing? And he said, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten from the tree of which I've commanded you not to eat, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it will yield for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your bread until you return to the ground because of it, because out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Adam named his wife Eve. And Eve sounds like the Hebrew word which means giving life or for living because she would be the mother of all the living. You see, very clearly, very early on in Scripture, we ruined, right? We, y'all, us, we ruined the plan that God had for us. Right? God made us to rule His creation, and be these co-heirs to it. And it would only come through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we would once again be able to be co-heirs to the sonship and be literally heirs of the inheritance of what He had originally given us in the garden. You see, He tried to offer us freedom many times through the Old Testament. Uh, if, if you hear the word Israel, in today's world we just think of this country Israel Hold on, that didn't exist until 1948. Israel was a people without a home. They had no homeland. They had no dirt of their own. Why? Because, look, you just read it in Genesis chapter 3. The promise and the inheritance that we were given and was made for us, we cast aside by our own desires, and instead of owning the land, which He had made us to be co-heirs with Him too, 
Now we will work the land. And as you've been with us on Sundays, you notice how it all starts to work together because you and I, we're Gentiles. You see, none of the promise was ever guaranteed for us. And again, through the beauty and the sacrifice of what Jesus did for us, you and I were able to become co-heirs to something that was never ours to begin with. Because that's how much God loved us. And we, we, we look at and we've talked about how on the cross, there's this moment where Jesus, who normally refers to, his, to, to God as Father, there's a separation. And, and, and before this, Jesus no longer refers to His mother as mother or mom, but as woman. And don't think of in today's world where if you called a woman, that would be an insult. In, in, in biblical Hebrew, when He says woman, that's like saying ma'am. So there comes this moment of separation, right? Where Jesus had to distance Himself in the flesh so that you and I could once again be co-heirs to what was promised to us. And it, it, it's beautiful uh, as we read down through this passage of Scripture <clears throat> in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, right there at verse 18, there's some stuff that we need to unpack so that what we see in verses 20 through 23 will make sense. And I know last week we kind of touched on it, and I told y'all we'd touch on it in more detail this week. Uh, in verse 18 we see where it says, I ask that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And to us, that is a really weird phrase. It does not make a lot of sense to us, right? The eyes of your heart. And so what you have to understand is this word uh, heart here, uh, as it appears in Scripture. <coughs> uh, let me pull this. Is uh, cardia. And that may sound familiar to an English word that you're familiar with, cardiac, right? And when we think... A cardiac, we usually think of bad things like a cardiac arrest, cardiac, these different things. And so cardiac in the way that we know it is merely physical. Okay? So cardiac in the Hebrew, which would have been the original language and what the people reading this in its early part would have known, cardiac to them, cardia, refers to the way of thinking. Your heart did your thinking. And us in modern context... And with body parts, which part do we think of does the thinking? Our brain, our mind, right? Why? Because we have created this separatism in something that God made for us. Again, we've talked about this in, in the original Hebrew. This word soul, like me and you know it, is nefesh, which is all of it. It's the, the brain, the heart, the gut. Have you ever heard the expression, I had a gut feeling? Right? Y'all heard that before? Or when you're falling in love, y'all remember that feeling? You better be doing it every single day. <laughs> uh, when you fall in love, you hear people say, I had the butterflies in my stomach. And so it gets kind of strange here in this one. The, the stomach is the place for feelings. The heart in the Hebrew was the place for thinking. Right? This was the, the thinking center. And we've learned a little bit about... Uh, uh, human anatomy, and we go, eh, they, didn't, they weren't dissecting people at this point in time, guys. That's like a, a later thing, right? So when they think of heart, this cardia, this is the, the central point. This is the, the place within you that does the thinking. Your heart was the center of yourself. 
And so we know uh, from the prophets that there's a certain verse that points out that the heart is deceitful above all things. Y'all know that one? The, the reason why the heart is deceitful above all things, because this heart, this cardia, is the center point of, of human, of flesh, of man. Right? This is where we do the bad thinking. It was the cardia, it was the heart action that told us in the garden, yeah, but I, know, I know God told us this, but did He really say? Remember, that's what the serpent said. Did He really say? And then we said, surely not. I can just really do what I want. Because he also said that we were, we, we were good stewards of everything that he made. We forgot the part where he said, specifically, there's literally one rule. Don't touch that. Definitely don't eat that. Right? But that's the one rule, guys. That's it. You, you, we don't know. Again, we don't know how long we lived in unity and in sonship and in the original design with God in the garden. We don't. Could have been a seven-day cycle. I hope that really we didn't ruin it in seven days. There is a lot of thinking that this is potentially thousands of years. Right? So much so that we have cosmic warfare and cosmic Christology and we have the fall of the Satan from heaven. Right? We, we know the Scripture where we, we see that the prophet says that we saw Satan fall like lightning. This is where we get this word Lucifer. Y'all ever heard Lucifer as a name for the... For, for the Satan. So y'all understand, the Satan is a title, right? Y'all know that? It means literally the deceiver or the deceitful one. And so think about this now. We're thinking of the heart as the center point and the heart does the thinking. Where does deception come from? Come on, y'all, put this together. From the heart, right? It comes from the thinking part of us. And so... The thing now that we have once used to, to destroy the plan, God, Paul is saying, I hope that God can use this once again for His glory. I hope that once again, that your mind, the, the eyes of your heart are set on Him. Paul is talking about restoration and redemption in the truest and deepest form when he speaks here, guys. And so he continues down through uh, verse 18. Uh, let me get to it real quick. It says, I ask that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Let me just show you all something really cool. Uh, have you ever seen in the, in the, the Psalms, you ever wondered what David's obsession was with, with often he speaks of the, the bowels, right? And then the Song of Solomon, the lover's passion for one another came from the bowels. And you hear that and you go, that's just kind of weird, right? Because when we think of bowels, we think of something different. So the bowels was the feeling center, right? The heart was the, was the thinking center. And the bowels, right? The bowels were, you got it? The feeling center. And all these parts of yourself, your existence, your thinking, your feeling, all of it encompass, come together and make up this thing called the soul or the nefesh, Right? And so we see uh, that we have taken what God intended for good and we used it for bad. We took this beautiful existence that God made for us in the garden 
we ruined it. And if you look forward to, to the, the book of Revelation, particularly uh, from, ver, from chapter uh, 14 on uh, through 21, you'll see that it starts speaking again of a garden. Right? And a new, y'all remember a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. Y'all familiar with this? So, oh, y'all are going to get some insight right here, real quick. The center point of the church in the early church, as we've seen uh, 10 chapters, 11 chapters in to Acts, is where? Where's the center? Where's the main church? Come on, y'all. Y'all been paying attention. Jerusalem. Somebody said it. Even if you didn't, you said it now, right? Jerusalem. This was the Jewish center. This was the Jewish heart of the church. All right, I'm about to give y'all some spoiler alert stuff. This week, we're going to hear about a place called Antioch. The church at Antioch. The church at Antioch becomes yes, the Gentile center of the church in the world. Right? And so, we have uh, Jerusalem is once again reclaimed in the, the end times. However that looks like for you. Jerusalem is reclaimed once again and made anew to resemble... Y'all, you guessed it. That garden, that beautiful garden from the very beginning. And here's the, here's the beauty of it. We're no longer left alone to our own devices. Right? God said, I love you, but I can't trust you. Right? So now we have this beautiful, we have this beautiful picture of Christ Jesus as not only our Savior, but as our, our Lord and as our Messiah. Right? So He's not just your Savior, but He's also your Lord. So what does this mean? It means He rules over it all. In other words, now in this new beautiful garden, y'all didn't know all this came in, in Ephesians chapter 1, and this was all hidden here, right? This is why you gotta, you got to dig in there to find the things that God intends for you. And we'll see this new Jerusalem. And we see once again we're welcomed into the garden, but this time through adoptive sonship, with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so he says, I ask that your, uh, the eyes of your heart uh, may be enlightened so that you may know the hope of His calling. We have pounded this one into the ground, y'all. What's our calling? Go and tell. Right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20 in particular. We end every service on Sundays now with the Great Commission. What is our calling? To go and tell. So, uh, over-literalization here, he says, uh, so that you may know the hope of going and telling of Christ Jesus, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. So, check this out. You now have, once again, an inheritance, but it's not by your work, it's not by your might, it is by your faith in one who is greater than we could ever be or that we could ever understand or comprehend. And that is Christ Jesus. And the surpassing greatness of His power to us who believe. And remember last week we talked about how resurrection power lives within everyone who has believed. And what is this resurrection power? Come on, y'all. Y'all got to do me some justice here. The Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? It seals you, right? That God has put His hand on you. Christ Jesus is your seal. And the Holy Spirit pounds that thing in and says, this is God's. 
This nefesh, or this soul, this person, this body, this heart, these bowels, this all, this total package belongs to God. And the beauty is we know that a seal can only be opened by the recipient. Right? And so people say, can you lose your salvation? No! No, a hundred times over, you are sealed. There was nothing you did to earn it. There is nothing by far that we do to deserve it. It is freely given and you are freely sealed. I belong to Him. And which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. Y'all, How much is Revelation speaking to us through these passages? I came from a a train of thought and a school of of learning where like Revelation was some just mystical book at the end of the Bible that you didn't really touch. Why? Because it, it divides people and it causes all these things. And it can. But if you don't, Look at Scripture in its entirety. You miss out on beautiful promises like Jesus in the book of Revelation seated at the right hand of God. And then we see it here in the book of Ephesians. And if you don't understand the end times that we see, if you don't understand the greater realm of existence that is simultaneously being spoken of, then you miss the whole picture. He exerted this power in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him. And so this word seated that you see right here is a really interesting word. Uh, So in display form, it means setting down of power. Think about this. He set down the power on Jesus at His right hand. Uh, Another way of, uh, of translating this exact same phrase here is to confer or confirm the kingdom upon one. So don't think of sitting down like me and you. We just go willy-nilly and we sit wherever. So in the Hebrew, in this culture, in this context, what the original reader would have read, when you're seated down, or you're... Anybody ever been to a wedding? Yeah, a couple people have been to a wedding. Okay, so if you go to really fancy weddings, what is there at the end? There's a meal, but what is there? Assigned seating. Exactly. So check this out. We see this assigned seating, right? You almost wonder, where did this come from? Where did this custom come from? Where did this... So who assigns the seating? Who should... Let me rephrase that. Who should assign the seating? The bridegroom and the bride. Why? Because they. this is their celebration and this is their... Literally, it's their uh, glory to be exuded. What the wedding really signifies is a marriage with Christ Jesus. So just putting that out there for you. So our whole marriage is to be one that honors, not in contract as in human terms and the flesh, but in covenant. When we enter into marriages, these are covenantal contracts if you enter into it in the way that it was intended Christ Jesus. But far too many people look at a wedding as merely contractual. We need to get married so we can be on the same insurance. We need to be married so that we can cohabitate. We need to be married for all these things that are not putting Christ Jesus 
at the center of your life. Men, I've told you all this a hundred times over. The, the world can only be Christian again if men are men again. Men, marriages can only be marriages again if men are men again. See, we were made to be co-heirs and we were made to rule it together. But because of our bad decision making in the garden, what did, Christ, what did, what did God say uh, to us in the garden? Man, you got to rule over your wife. And that's why in, in the book to the Corinthians, Paul says that the man is to, to literally rule over his wife, but not in a, a, a position of, of you must just be submissive to me and be domineered by me. No, 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 no. This sort of submission implies that you are properly ruling your household the way that God intended. So men, don't be mad when your wife takes authority when you're not being a godly leader to your home. Wow, we're just getting... Con- I told y'all, we just, it just has a way of getting controversial. But it's not. And it's really, at least it shouldn't be. But we've allowed the world to define marriage. That one's on us, y'all. Why? Because we didn't put our foot down. This... Is, is, is about Christ. This is literally an example of us and our commitment to God. We've let the world define marriage. We've let the world tell us how to raise our children. We've let the world tell us who will worship. All of us worship something. I just want you to know that. See, the problem is, too many of us worship sin. So when he exerted in Christ this mighty strength, he raised him from the dead and seated him, or he put the power, the authority, and the confirmation of the kingdom on him and sat him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Again, where does this assigned seating thing play importance? Do you know what? Y'all ever heard the expression, that's my right hand man? Y'all ever heard that? He sat him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. What is the right hand man? This is a man that if I can't do something, if I can't be all places, this guy I trust to do what I would do. God seats Jesus at the right hand. Not because he can't be everywhere at all places all time, because he can't. No, 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 no. This is the beauty of the example that God lays out for us. God didn't have to take all the credit and be all the things. Remember, we have a trinity, right? We have a Godhead. We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And where God the Father could just go and do every bit of it and just do it. No, 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 no. He gives us an example of how to live our lives. He assigns power and authority to the God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And instead of one just ruling supreme over the others, They all work in this beautiful, perfect circle. Even think about our lives and the way that we've... Our lives are... I've talked about this with you before. are are cyclical. It starts at Christ and it ends at Christ. But we've turned it into linear. It starts at birth and it ends at death. I don't like those expressions because here's the beauty of it. We live in an eternal world. And again, we've allowed man, we've allowed the world to define our lifespans. 
Our lifespan is this endless circle revolving in worship of God. And yet we've turned it into this submission to the world. And we see Jesus seated in the, at the right hand in the heavenly realms, or in heaven, uh, far above all rule and authority. Look at all these, these, uh, these phrases that express power. Rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is named. Again, another authoritative title. Man, God really has a trust in Jesus, right? And if God really has a trust in Jesus, God the Father really has a trust in Jesus... Maybe that's saying something about the place we should put Him in our lives. Maybe that's saying something about the authority and the power and dominion we should give Him in our lives. I told you all about this last week. A kid gets a slingshot for Christmas and goes and shows everybody, tells everybody, wants them to know about it. Look at these cool windows we can break with this slingshot, right? That's how, that's how kids work. But they want, to go, they want to go and brag about it. Adults... We receive the greatest gift that could ever be given in salvation in Jesus Christ and we sit on our hands and we tell nobody about it. Maybe we're bad stewards. Yeah, if y'all came for the happy-go-lucky one and the positive affirmation one, it it was not tonight. we got to be better with what we've been given, guys. I'll do better whenever I get more. You'll never get more until you are a good steward with what you have. Yeah, that's not a popular one. Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So in the Hebrew, oh man, this is a cool word. Let me make sure I don't butcher this. Let me just pull this here. Hebrew Bible up. I don't obviously have just a copy of the Hebrew Bible to be able to to come to for you guys. So we we do have to go digital for this one. Uh, We see that the present age, or the Olam Hazeh, and the one to come, the Olam Habah. Those are cool, right? Those sound cool. And what this literally means is the already and the not yet. Remember I told you all this expression is going to keep coming up. There is the the physical world that you can see and the one that is to come. This heaven, this earth, and the one that is to come. And what's the commonality between it? It all hinges on a God in a garden. Our whole lives were made for the garden. Think about the first however many years of, of humanity. What was like the number one profession? If you guess farmer, you got it correct. It wasn't until modernization and the technology age and the industrial, the industrial age that we moved away from this idea of man and woman as farmers. Prop, crop producers. I told y'all, look at how we have allowed the world to define our lives.
And God, oh, y'all, y'all ready for it? Here's where the Genesis 3 comes back. And God put everything under His feet. Does that sound like something to y'all? Look at this, look at this, guys. Uh, Go back to Genesis really quick. Chapter 3. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock. That, that's why I'm afraid of snakes. This, this verse right here. <clears throat> Not because they're creepy. But because of this verse, right? I'm going to give it to the Bible. Uh, above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat. What were we guys? Y'all remember? From dust and to dust we return. Now look at what the Satan eats. And the Bible's cool, y'all. Really got to start studying this thing. All the days of your life, and I will put enmity or strife or battle or conflict, or I will remove a kingdom from, you know, the same kingdom that was conferred on Jesus in the heavenly realms. And I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Holy cow. In all the things that God did, and God telling us, hey, look, I made you to be beautiful co-heirs and live in this beautiful existence with me. Look at the one thing He still gave us protection from the one thing he still gave us authority over the Satan. Why are we giving it back to him? We're given authority that we don't have and is not ours to give, and we're giving it to the devil in our lives. And we do that through sin. And God put everything under His feet. Or, the idiom here, y'all guessed it, y'all ready for this? Under His heel. And made Him head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Oh, I'm about to say something. And I'm going to... Close us in prayer after I say these things to you. If you thought that if you thought it was rough, it's about to get a little worse. The church, quite literally, is the body of Christ. The way that we structure our worship, the way that we structure community, the way that we structure our experience with the community we invite into the church is a direct verdict or indictment of how we feel about Jesus. Y'all need me to repeat that one for you? How we treat this, who we invite in, is a direct indictment of our belief, our trust, and our faith in Jesus. Oh, we can pack this in a way and tough things to swallow. 
Jesus was a friend of sinners, but not a condoner of sin. Jesus was a voice for the oppressed while taking on their oppression. Jesus was God in the flesh, or God incarnate, who brought forth an adoption once again for us into heaven and to be one once again with God the Father. So when you ask, why are you so serious about church? Because it matters. How we do this is the the most true and, and, and obvious way of how we feel about God. Maybe there's somebody you need to tell about that. Right? If we come into this place and we're divisive, what we're saying is that we believe in dividing God. That God gave us the authority to to divide. If we come into this place and we judge others, yeah, you guessed it. You want to know what breaks my heart, y'all? And then this is how I close this. I still remember a time when altar calls were a thing. Not that it was just a part of the service, but that was truly a time when we got our lives right. That was truly a time when we came and laid down our burdens and laid down all that was within us and said, just as Jesus promised us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, that the burden's too heavy, but it's okay because I realize it was never mine to carry. You see, we serve a God who promised that we could come and lay the burden down and that He would carry it with us and for us. So what is, what is my mind for the future? We have to reclaim altar calls once again. And I don't say this in a, in a, in a, a pushing you toward it kind of manner. I say this, that maybe by me stressing the importance of it, that when the Spirit calls you and the Spirit leads you forth, that you stop worrying about what other people would say. That you stop worrying about what someone else may think of you by coming to the altar. Because if they think negatively of you and they think differently of you for coming and laying down your burdens, that's a direct indictment of how they feel about Jesus. So it's not you that you should be worried about. So maybe if you ever think about coming to the altar, but you say, I just worry what so-and-so might think of me. Maybe that's God telling you to come to the altar and pray for that person. Have you ever thought about it that way? No, because we're, we're too full of pride. We let the cardia, we let the heart get in the way and cloud our worship. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father God, I just pray that tonight, Lord, that we would just take Your message, God, and apply it to our lives. Take Your Word, Lord, and apply it to our our heart, our mind, our body, our soul, our whole, God, that we would once again be set ablaze, we would set on fire, God, that the Holy Spirit would come and dwell amongst us, God, that we would make much of You and make less of self, God. And I just pray that tonight, Lord, 
You'll just continue to work through us and work in us, God, and bring us back safely to our next meeting, Lord. And I just pray that as the next couple days lead us into Sunday, God, that we be thinking of who we can bring into the house, who we can invite into your house, who we can share your kingdom with. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.